Thank you. The reading this morning is from John chapter 18, verses 15 to 27, and can be found on page 1086 in the Red Church Bibles. So that's page 1086, John chapter 18, starting at verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. "'You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you?' she asked Peter. He replied, "'I am not.' It was cold, and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. "'I have spoken openly to the world,' Jesus replied. "'I always taught in synagogues or at the temple,' where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Are those who heard me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke this truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment... A cock began to crow. Thank you, Ben. Do uh, keep that open as we come to look at it together. Uh, So I was in London last week. Um, I was sitting on the tube, and as usual, no one is making, daring to make eye contact. So I started looking around, and, you know, people read books on the tube, and you start looking at, you know, the title pages and the covers, you know, what are people reading? And the person right opposite me, bright color, amazing title. I just, wow, I can't believe someone would write a book with that title. Um, Little irreverent, you are a badass. How to stop doubting your greatness and start living your awesome life. Wow. Um, I looked it up on Amazon, and and apparently it is a bestseller uh, in the sort of career self-help guidance uh, category, uh, and there are three sequels, and they're also uh, bestsellers. And you know on Amazon, you can look up the contents page, and I sort of think, what is this book? It's got chapter headings like, Love the One You Is which is a crime against grammar, if nothing else. Fear is for suckers, and money is your new best friend. Most wonderful bit of pastoral advice I've ever read. Um, hopefully we're cringing uh, a little bit. But of course, a book like that wouldn't sell if it didn't appeal to just a little bit of us. You know, it, wouldn't it be great if sort of friends and family and colleagues would say, you know what, you are just an 
awesome, terrific human being. We are so lucky to have you. I mean, perhaps you do think that that is you. Um, More probably, does a little part of you wish that that was you? I mean, this could be true of any area of life, you know, work, family, friendships, but also in the Christian life. You know, do you find yourself wishing, God, I wish I was holier, purer, bolder, better. Do you get the gap between who you feel you ought to be and who you are? I do wonder what Peter would have made of such a book, given the events of our passage this morning. Uh, We're going to leave Amazon best-selling self-help books to one side, Uh, and take our chances with the infallible word of God. And I'm sorry if that disappoints anyone. We get a very different perspective on this gap between who we are, who we ought to be. So John, the author of this account, he gives us two conversations in this passage. Uh, John is probably the disciple mentioned in verse 15, sneaking into the high priest's house. So he's an eyewitness. He's, you know, recording what he saw and what he remembers But he's arranged it in a particular way. It's always worth, when we're reading the Bible, just noticing what order does the author put it in. John switches between two scenes, two conversations, and and they take place literally a few yards apart in the house of Annas, the high priest. In the courtyard, we have Peter engaged in some casual small talk with the high priest's servants. Inside, we have Jesus his master, being interrogated by some of the most powerful men in Israel and their armed thugs. Two conversations, two lines of questioning, and a very strong contrast between the two. So as we look at it this morning, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to look at what Peter says and does, and then we're going to look at Jesus and see what John is trying to make us see between the two. So Peter, what's up with Peter? Uh, Well, there's some backstory to what's going on here. Uh, So for the past three years, Peter has followed Jesus faithfully. He's been there. He's been by his side, ever loyal. He is the first to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. He stands by Jesus when hundreds of others desert him because they find his teaching too offensive. He's always there, always faithful, always loyal. And you get the sense as you read through the Gospels that Peter starts to think that, yeah, he is a bit of a badass. And then we come to this cold Thursday evening, and Jesus and the disciples, they gather to eat. Uh, This is a few pages previously in chapter 13. There's excitement in the air, but also, you know, there's a few nerves. You know, what's going to happen? Jesus starts to unfold what's going on, trying to help the disciples see what is about to happen and why, how he is going to be arrested and crucified, and how this needs to happen. And Jesus tells them very clearly, this is chapter 13, verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow. You can't follow now, you will follow later. And Peter gets agitated. He demands to know, Lord, why can't I follow you now? And then these words, I will lay down my life for you. Peter wants to be a hero. And of course, 
having heard our passage this morning, we, we know what's coming. We, we know that he really should not have said that. And yet those words, they hold up a helpful mirror to us. You know, perhaps we do look at ourselves and think, yes, I am faithful and loyal to Jesus. I know he is the Son of God. I've been willing to stand by his teaching, even though it's offended everyone else. I mean, sure, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I am not ashamed, and I will keep following. Or perhaps, again, we very much don't feel like Peter, but, Peter, but we think that we ought to be. You know, if only I was more confident, less defensive, more erudite, less stressed. If only I was just, frankly, a completely different person. And I think this can be especially true in the area that this passage describes. Those awkward and difficult conversations about our faith. You know, wherever it is, whether it's school gates, dinner party, over the coffee machine at work, and you know, someone asks us that really awkward, difficult, incredibly controversial question. Do you ever find yourself daydreaming about, you know, if you could just give the perfect answer and they're incredibly persuaded and, you know, demand to come to church? Or do you look back on those conversations and think, ah, oh, I, I bottled it, didn't I? I, I mumbled, changed the subject. Oh, is that time? Need to get away. And you think, oh, if only I was better. Do you feel that gap between who you feel you ought to be and who you are. And if so, you are doing better than Peter because there is a gap and Peter really hasn't seen it. He finds out the hard way. Because as Peter makes this boast, you know, I will follow you, I will die for you, Jesus tells him, really? Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. No, Peter, you, you are not a badass. You are not going to be the hero. And what happens? Well, we jump forward into our passage in chapter 18. So Peter and you know, John, they've snuck into the, the courtyard, or trying to sneak into the courtyard of the high priest's house. You know, John knows the family. He gets them in. Peter comes near and he presumably lowers his cloak uh, and the light from the fire falls on his face. And you know, Peter has been at Jesus' side all this time. He, he would have been recognizable. And he seems familiar to this, this maid on the door. And, and she's not sure, but she asks, you aren't one of, these, one of this man's disciples too, are you? And it just slips out. No, 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 I'm not. So easy. Quick mumble. Avoid eye contact. Slink in takes up his position by the fire. And obviously they're chatting about what's going on. I mean, it's not every evening you have a high-stakes interrogation going on inside uh, the house. So they're, they're chatting about it, and Peter shifts awkwardly and, again, avoids eye contact. And then another question. Hang on, aren't you one of this man's disciples too? He shakes his head and mumbles, no, 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 I'm, I'm not. Uh, and then this uh, relative of Malchus. Now, Malchus is interesting. He, he's someone that Peter had literally got into a fight with a few hours previously. You know, being bold, being the hero. He cuts Malchus's ear off. We'll come back to that in due course. But obviously, Malchus's relative, not particularly keen on 
people chopping his relative's ear off. So he says, hang on, didn't I see you in the garden? And then John just writes, Peter denied it. And John's actually sugarcoating it a bit. The other gospel writers tell us Peter panics. He, he, he starts calling down curses. He swears by, no, I, I've, I've never heard of Jesus of Nazareth at all. No idea what you're talking about. Why on earth would I know him? That just, no, not me. You've got the wrong man. It was all meant to be so different. This wasn't how it was meant to turn out. And the image Peter has of himself as the hero, the one who is going to follow, be faithful, lay down his life for Jesus, well, it, it crumbles to ash like the wood in the fire in front of him and blows away on the cold night air. No wonder there's this cock crows. He breaks down and weeps. There's so many ways that this has gone wrong for Peter. Um, and all of these different ways, any one of them could resonate with our own failures. There's, there's the cowardice, the, the crumbling at the first sign of trouble. There's the hypocrisy, you know, boasting that he would stand and fight and now mumbling his denial. There's the betrayal of the man he loves. You know, even if Jesus wasn't Peter's Lord and Savior, this would still have a sting to it. The snapping of a close friendship. But of course, Jesus isn't just a friend. He is God himself who created Peter and you and me, and has loved us. And yet Peter denies him. We deny him. Maybe even this week, someone has asked us exactly the same question. Are you a Christian? Do you actually believe all that rubbish? What about that really offensive stuff? Do you, you don't really believe that, do you? And maybe this week, we've also, like Peter, slunk away. And we sit here feeling that sting of the gap between who we are and who we ought to be. So what do we do with this gap? Do we just sit here this morning ashamed that we weren't brave enough, we weren't confident, and we just think, next time I'll be bolder, next time I will try harder. Or maybe there's something more, because we have only looked at half of the passage so let's move out of the cold courtyard. Let's move indoors and see why does John put Jesus' conversation with the high priest in the middle? Why is he drawing attention to that? So the two conversations, you read them, and they, they couldn't be more different. You know, Peter is dealing with his social equals. There's an escape route. It's just small talk. Jesus is trapped. There, there's no escape. There's armed thugs guarding the door. He's got the most powerful men in Israel standing opposite him, interrogating him. Peter crumbles in the blink of an eye. What does Jesus say and do? I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. The simple contrast between Peter and Jesus is that Jesus stands his ground. He knows this is a sham trial, and he says so. And yet he remains gentle and patient, even when someone literally punches him in the face. So, so what's the lesson here? Is it just that, you know, don't panic and deny the truth like Peter? Be bolder and stand firm like Jesus? I mean, 
Sure, that, that's a good lesson to learn. But Peter knows Jesus. He's seen him. He's watched him for three years. He's seen Jesus stand his ground again and again against people like this. And it wasn't enough to stop him denying Christ. And it won't be for us. This is not a case where we simply need to try harder. And that's why Jesus gives Peter that warning we saw earlier. He's being kind. He says, no, you're not going to die for me. In fact, he tells him, don't even try and follow me tonight. I'm going somewhere you can't come. Don't follow me, not tonight. And it's just what the very moment he's arrested, earlier in chapter 18, what does he say to the soldiers who arrest him? He tells them to let Peter and the others go. What Jesus is doing, he doesn't need any help. Quite the opposite. He needs to do this alone because he is the only one who is able to do it. It's interesting, if you look across the page um, at verse 36 of chapter 18, Jesus is interrogated by Pontius Pilate. And Jesus makes this very clear again. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Now, of course, Peter has tried fighting for Jesus, and it hasn't gone brilliantly. He's cut someone's ear off, and then Jesus has said, stop. That is not how this is going to happen. This is not what is going on here. Jesus is saying, what I'm doing here, I'm doing alone, because only I can do it. So what is it that Jesus is doing? What is it that he can only do alone in this interrogation? Well, if I was, I wonder, you know, what, how else could Jesus have answered the high priest? I mean, I suppose he could have begged for mercy. He could have promised to go back to Galilee and behave in future. He could have denied himself, his words, and everything he came to do. But he doesn't. He stands his ground. He owns the words that he has said before the high priest. And in so doing, he signs his own death warrant. From this moment on, the path leads in one direction and one direction alone, and that is to Golgotha, to the cross. And why? We need to hear the irony of what Peter boasted he would do for Jesus. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. No, Peter, Jesus says. That's the wrong way around. I am going to lay down my life for you. Peter denies Jesus. We deny Jesus in all sorts of different ways. But Jesus does not deny himself. And because he does not deny himself, he does not deny us. As he goes to the cross, he is abandoned and denied by those he came to save. Nevertheless, he persisted. And he persisted for Peter and for me, and for you. And what comes of this? What happens in the relationship between Jesus and Peter? Well, fast forward to the Sunday morning. We're at the empty tomb. 
Angels are announcing to Mary Magdalene and others the amazing news. Jesus is alive. Jesus has succeeded in all he came to do. But whom do the angels single out? Whom do they send Mary to first? Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Jesus wants Peter to know first that what he has done, he has achieved without Peter's help, but he's achieved it. And when Jesus and Peter meet again, they they have a chat by the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21. And what happens? Does Jesus lay into him? You you bottled it, Peter. Sorry, We, we can't be friends anymore. No, Peter is restored. He is forgiven. But more than that, he is commissioned to go and lead Christ's people. And this isn't because Peter's failure doesn't matter or that ours do not matter. The gap matters. But what Jesus resolved to do that Thursday night was to die in the place of people like Peter and you and me. And that's John's point in this passage. Only Jesus was capable of doing this. Only the perfect and righteous Son of God would ever have been able to stand firm. Any other human being would have crumbled, just like Peter. Jesus knows it's a sham trial with Annas, the high priest. But there was another trial going on, a far more proper and righteous trial. As he stands before Ananias, he stands on Peter's behalf and our behalf before a far more eternal tribunal, that of God himself. And just as the high priest asks Jesus about his disciples, you notice that verse 19, just ask him about the disciples. So before God and God's tribunal, Jesus answers for us, his disciples, all of us. Our denials, our failures, our shame. All those times when, though we are disciples, we have not followed. Jesus stands before God's tribunal and says, I will answer for them. They have denied me. I will not deny them. And he takes his place on the cross, that place which we deserved. And then he rises again. And he calls us out by name and says, the penalty is paid, you are forgiven. And yes, of course I want you to tell others. Not because you are now brave and confident. Not because you have learnt your lesson and will now try harder. No, tell others because like Peter, you were deniers. But you are deniers who have been forgiven and loved. As we look at this reading this morning, we, we should reflect on how well we stand up for our faith. That would be a good thing to think and to pray about. But what John really wants us to see is how beautifully, wonderfully, utterly unique is this Christ. How he alone could pay the penalty for sin. He alone can wipe our shame. He alone can make us bold. As we close, do turn with me to page 1095, just a few pages along. 
down at verses sort of, uh, yeah, five, six, seven, eight. Um, we might get a bit of deja vu because there's a man standing before the high priest being interrogated. But this time, it's not Jesus, it's, it's Peter. Once again, there's the leaders of Israel, armed thugs at the ready. The high priest is interrogating Peter, fixes him in his steely gaze. There's been a, a healing in the temple courts. And, and he asks Peter, by what power or name did you do this? Verse 7. What does Peter say? It was an accident. I, I didn't mean to. I swear to you, I don't know anything about Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know him. I'm not his disciple. No. This is what he says from verse 10. Verses 8 to 12. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter's changed. How has he changed? As he read, you are a badass, stopped doubting his greatness, and started living his awesome life? No, quite the opposite. He knows he's not a badass. He, he knows he has every reason to doubt his greatness. He has no intention of living an awesome life. No, there's now no more boasting, no more empty promises, no more thinking he is the hero. Peter knows exactly where he stands. He is a sinner saved by grace, not a hero needed by Christ, but simply overjoyed with what Christ and Christ alone has done. Because Christ alone is the answer to that gap between who we are and who we ought to be. He is the one alone who pays the penalty for that gap. And it is by his power and his grace and his forgiveness alone that that gap will ever start to close as we are made more and more like him. So as we close, let us dwell on him, on Christ, his majesty, his perfection, his holiness, and above all, his love for us. Let us worship him by whose name alone we have salvation and life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that when we deny you, and we do deny you, you cannot deny yourself, and so you do not deny us. Thank you for standing in the place we deserved before God's tribunal and taking the punishment for all of our failures. Lord, make us bold like Peter. Make us see in your unique and wondrous love our restoration, our wholeness, our life. And may we go out in that joy, that desire to share this good news, not trusting in our own strength, but in you and you alone. Amen. I'm going to invite the music group back up. It's a good song to end on. Be thou my vision. What is that vision? 
It is Christ's unique saving death and resurrection for us. So let's sing this as a prayer, that Christ and Christ alone would be our vision.